Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good to be with you guys. Hey, uh, welcome to New Vision. If you're here for the first time or Honored to have you here this morning, and uh, I always challenge our body, if you're here with the first time, give us three weeks uh, so that we can get to know you, you can get to know us. If New Vision is not the place for you, talk to us, and we'll help you find a church that fits your needs. We're encouraged. So with saying that, we have a gift for you. So if you are uh, joining us, you can go out after service out the doors. You'll see Vicki out at the Welcome Center. We have a gift for you. We just want to get to know you. Or there's a, a scan card in front of you. You can take your phone, boop. Scan card at Boom, it would get your information of who you are. Love to contact you, connect with you. Not going to stalk you, just going to say hello and welcome uh, from our family to, to your family uh, on that. Hey, we've been doing a, a study through the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, open up to John, the 15th chapter. John 15, we're going to be in verses 1 through 8 this morning. My message title is The Fruitfulness of a Disciple, is what we're looking for and looking at this morning. Um, this week, I, I gave a gift of death to my wife. Now, before you jump to any conclusions, let me explain. Okay? Um, while my wife was out this week um, doing ministry and sharing and visiting a friend, I just felt like the Lord put on my heart to go get her some flowers and a card. So I went out to the store, and I got her these stuff, and I brought it home, and I wrote a little note to her saying, thinking of you, and gave her the flowers, and so she comes home, and she's like, oh, thank you, beautiful, like, you know, chalk it up for dad, chalk it up for the husband, yes. But you have to understand something. As soon as I, I picked those up, I realized that that flower, that bouquet, is on a slow death because it's been cut from its life support. In fact, when they give you the flowers, they give you this little powder that you put in the water. Already, you put it in the water so it could have some life support, so it could thrive, it could grow, it could have all these different things. But because it was cut, it was only a matter of time before it withered. Before it changed color, it dies, and you throw it away. When you come to John, the 15th chapter, that's kind of the illustration Jesus has given to the disciples. He's saying, look it, you have to abide in me that I am the vine and you are the branches and my father is the vine dresser and you have to abide and rest in me because if you don't, you will die. If you get cut off, you will wither. And so he begins to give this great explanation and this illustration as he's been journeying with the disciples about what it really means to be a disciple. He's really beginning to teach about what it means to have a healthy relationship with God. And, and what the next step of faith really looks like. See, the purpose of life is that we would develop a deeper passion for God and others. Christianity that is passionless, passionless about God is a false faith. But our development of faith is built on abiding love relationship with Jesus. You remember, in, we just finished John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, he starts off, well, let your heart not be troubled, right? He had just, it starts off with the fact that Jesus just shared that 
Some of you, one's going to betray me. Peter, you're going to die me. I'm going to go away, so they're troubled. So he comforts their hearts. And he begins to comfort their heart with the words, but then he also promises that there's a comforter coming called the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he's laying out this, this whole teaching with the disciples in this upper room. We call it the upper room discourse. As he's getting ready, it's only hours before he's going to go to the cross. It's only hours before he's going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he's going to be headed in a moment. And he's giving his farewell speech, his goodbye message, his salon message, his selah moment. Think about what I'm sharing with you. And he's sharing it with the disciples. But then you jump to John 15, and he's going to give them a, another intimate moment or message to his leaders. He's, he's a, he speaks to them about the discipline of abiding, of resting in him. Like many of us are familiar with the gospel, right? We believe that Jesus came in the flesh. He was crucified uh, for our sins, died, was buried, rose again on the third day for the forgivenesses, and he will come back. We understand that the gospel is the power of salvation, but it's another thing to experience the gospel. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, the famous Puritan preacher, described his conversion this way. He likened his awakening to the gospel to a man who had known in his head that honey was sweet, but for the first time had sweetness burst alive in his mouth. The gospel that could come alive in us. The psalmist writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. That the Lord is good, right? See, abiding a relationship with Jesus is the way we can taste the sweet honey because we delight in him ourselves in his word. And, and this is necessary for our growth and allows us to have a deeper roots in the faith. So let's turn to John, the 15th chapter. We're gonna look at verses one through eight this morning. We're gonna jump on a cover one through eight this morning. Next week, guys, I just wanna encourage you, we're having a family service. So we'll take a little break from John. We'll bring all the kids in like we do. It's the, it's the fifth Sunday of the month. So we always have family services on the fifth Sunday of the month. So it'll be look a little bit different next week. But this morning, we're jumping to John 15, starting verse 1. I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it be, may bear more fruit. You, already, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. Let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace, Lord. We pray your spirit would speak to us this morning. We pray that you would guide us this morning. We pray that you would lead us this morning. But we pray more than that, you open up the eyes of our heart that we might understand your word and what it really means to have a deep, intimate, loving relationship with you because that's what you called us to have. Not a religious experience, not to be religious and to try to follow the rules, but have a deep relationship to fall in love. <laughs> and so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, in the first three verses, we're going to see the work of God in the disciple's life. God is always working in you and through you and around you. He's always doing something. I brought this, this is in my office. In fact, I had a meeting uh, this week with Marie and a bunch of the leader, worship leaders, and they asked me about this, this tree. I think it's called a tree. They go, what is this? And I, I begin to tell it a story. What, let me give you a little background, because it, it, it's a, it looks like a dead tree. But let me tell you, when, when I first came here and started doing a New Vision, we were meeting in, at uh, another place, another location. And what happened was that I, was, I came in, and I'm all about Jesus, want to do the ministry. And so I get into my new office, and I was there. And for a whole year, my, a lot of my stuff was still packed in boxes, it was just a, a white room. I hadn't even taken my books out of the boxes and put them on my shelves. I was just trying to be about the father's business. And so I'm, one of my pastors, Pastor David, who's retired now, says, hey, Pastor P, you've been here a year. Are you planning to go anywhere? I go, what do you mean? He goes, you haven't, you haven't unpacked yet. I said, oh, man, I haven't even thought about it. I'm, I've been serving, want to get to church, ministering. And so Julie and I were going to go on vacation. And so Greg Nicholas, who, who does the food ministry here, says, hey, Pete, do you mind if I... I fix up your room, put your stuff in, paint your room, fix it all up. And I said, great, that'd be awesome, Greg. But one thing, don't put any green plants in my office because I'll kill them. I'm not a gardener. I won't care for them. I won't think about them. They're going to die. And so when I got back from my vacation, I found this dead tree in my office. <laughs> and he said, Pete, you won't kill this because it's already dead. And it's been in my office ever since. See, I want you to understand that we have a vine dresser, a, dresser a, a, a farmer named God the Father, who's a better gardener than me, who tends to our life, who, who tends to the needs of our life. And that's, we, have, we first have to understand this characteristic about who God is, God the Father and God the Son is, in order to be able to understand the work that he's going to do in us. That in some ways, this church is the vineyard, but we are the vine, the branches, and Jesus is the vine. It's in John 14, 3, I'm sorry, in John 14, 31, it closes with let us go. And I know you're going to put a picture up on the screen here, now if you can see it. He says, let us go. And remember, they're in an upper room, and they're heading out of this upper room. They're probably walking to the, uh, the temple courts. They're going to head out a gate. Now, this is a picture of Israel. I, mean, I was able to go to Israel. For those who have been to Israel, you might be familiar with this picture. But this is, over here is the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to pray. He's looking out toward the city. You can see the Dome of the Rock, which is the mosque. If you go down right here, this is the Kidron Valley, and it goes up into the, there's the walled city, the walls where Nehemiah built, and you go up into the city. Well, Jesus is coming out of the city. He says, let us go. And he's going out, and, he's, and he's, as he's walking through the court, he probably sees, number one, it could be a beautiful gate that had this artwork of vines and grapes on it. And I could only imagine as he's probably getting ready to go because he's heading toward the garden, he probably sees the, this gate. And he could be expounding. He's probably using this visual illustration to talk about a vineyard and about grapes and vines and that. Or he probably was journeying because it's not a far walk from the city down to the Kidron Valley up to the garden. And there were a lot of grapevines and vineyards there. And Jesus probably most likely is saying, I'm going to do a, a visual illustration of something that's so sacred and important that we need to understand in order to thrive as followers of Jesus. 
Guys, that's part of discipleship, even with our family and our kids at every moment of the day, we're teaching them and instructing them as we go. We're gonna look at that next week in Deuteronomy chapter six. But I think this is where Jesus is headed. I said last week, I love Jesus because he's a pastor as he begins to finish off this little message about the Holy Spirit. And he says, let us go. Oh, by the way, one more point, <laughs> right? And I say, let's land the plane. And I got another 20 minutes, right? Uh, so I love Jesus. I, 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 that's my excuse for keep going sometimes. But here we see is a really, we see a father and son ministry team here in verse one of John 15. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. We have, we have three kind of main characters in the story. We have Jesus, who is the true vine. We have God the Father, who is the vine dresser, right? And we have the branches, who are us. We're going to see that in the story. But I love this. It says Jesus is the true vine. Notice that I am the true vine. There's another I am statement. He's been laying a lot of identity things throughout the book. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and life. He lays all these I am state statements because what's the purpose of the gospel of John is that he's revealing who he is that you might believe. That's a sermon series that you might believe. Here's another I am. I am the true vine. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so in order for us to, to grow, we need to abide in the true vine. We need to abide in him because faith connects us to the true vine. Now, why does he say he's the true vine? Because there had to be a false vine. There had to be something that wasn't true. Remember? Israel was referred to as a noble vine. God's people, the Jews, referred to as a, a noble vine that became a wild vine. They, they, they became disobedient. He created this great nation. And that's the story of the Old Testament of, a, of of people that he loved that went wild, went away, disobeyed. And so this was this crazy wild vine. You can read that in Psalm 80, Isaiah 5. It lays out all the descriptions of this wild, crazy vine, which we know as the Jewish nation. We find a very story in, in Matthew 21 through 3, a parable story illustrating this wild, disobedient thing. There was a story about a man who was the vine dresser. He's a farmer. He's the owner. That's God. Or that's the illustration he's in. And he, he buys this property. And he builds this vineyard, and it's beautiful. But then he turns it over to lease it to this other people to tend his garden. They become the vine dressers. And he goes away on a journey. But then he wants to come back and get the fruits of the vineyard. And so he sends some servants to go and those people who are supposed to be overseeing it say, oh, there's a service. And they like, oh, we don't want to give it. So they, they beat them up. They beat these servants up and they, they, they harass them and they do that. And they're like, and so they come back like, hey, no, they're not happening. And so in that moment, Jesus says, well, if I send my son, surely they will give me the fruits and, and, and respond correctly. So he, this owner sends the son to these people who are managing this vineyard and sure enough, oh, that's the owner's son. If we kill him, we'll get the inheritance of the vineyard and it'll be ours. And so when the son comes, they beat him and they kill him. Do you see the picture being laid out? It's a picture of the Old Testament where the prophets come to talk about who Jesus is, but they kill the prophets. And then they send Jesus the son and they kill Jesus the son. This is the Jewish. This is the, the wild vine that Jesus tells the story in. And yet he comes now, the owner comes, and he says, I'm going to destroy these wicked men and give, a, give this property to another 
vine dresser. Who's that? That's the Gentiles. That's us. That's the gift that he's laying out here, right? The church is now in some sense the true vineyard of God, and we, we care for the needs of the people because that should have been the religious leader's job. That should have been the Jewish leader caring for the people, but they are now false leaders and false caretakers. The vine dresser here, obviously, is God the Father. Some translation has him as a farmer, as a gardener, as a husbandman, depending what translation you have. But God the Father is the orchestrator of everything. He's the cultivator. He watches over things. He's the tiller of the, of the soil. He's the one who's prepared the heart for you to receive the seed of the planted word. That's why we pray our Father who is art in heaven. Why we call on his name, because he's the one that draws men to himself. Right? The branches, that's us. We see that in verse 2. The branches. We are the vessels by which the fruit is produced. We will be what God uses to bear much fruit. But you have to understand in the story, these characters, each of them are independent of each other. We know that chapter 14, we see the introduction of the Holy Spirit, and now we see present the Father and Son in the, in the story. We see Jesus as a great example of a relationship between the Son and the Father, and the disciples got to see that. He would not do anything unless the Father told him what to do because he had an abiding relationship with his Father. He would often go away to be with his Father. He would often go away and pray, and he would hear from the Father and only do what the Father has said to do. And he's called us now as spirit-filled believers, as followers of Jesus, to have abiding relationship with God. But in order to do that, to have a healthy relationship with God, there's a process in developing you. There's a process in discipleship. There's a process to, to tending. And some of you might see it as a, man, I can't believe why God is so hard or heavy. But we can't see it that way. God is always looking out for our best interests. He always wants us to thrive. He always wants us to grow. He always wants us to know him intimately. And so in some way, there's this, this, this team, this father and son team, specifically the father, has a ministry of, that, that is a pruning process. We see that in verse 2. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Do you see the goal there? The goal is to bear more fruit, but there's a process to get more fruits, Right? The gardener, the farmer, has to have a discerning process for the health of the garden. It is God's goal that every believer bear, bear much fruit. But what's the context? I context, I mean, what is, what is Jesus really saying so you can see this? Because if you don't have a correct context, you might misinterpret the passage. It means something that it did not mean. And so here's the context. He's talking to the believer because he says, every branch, what? In me, that's important. You got to see that in me. So he's talking to the followers. He's talking to the biblical followers of Jesus. He's talking to those that are called disciples because he ends it. You cannot not be my disciple if you don't do these things. So he's specifically talking, and he's talking to the disciples here. He's not talking to the public. He's talking to the disciples here. And, and, and he, he says here, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. You mean there could be disciples that don't bear fruit? 
Wow. Right? That some dead branches need to be cleared away? You mean there could be disciples that have a ministry that's unproductive? Yeah. But he still cares for them. <laughs> right? Talking about believers that are fruitless, thanks God that we are not saved by our works. Thank God that we're not saved by our works, right? It says he, he, he takes it away. Who's the, he, he hears God the Father who takes away things, the things that maybe distract us from abiding him. He takes away the rubbish. He takes away the dead plants. The word here, now you got to catch this, the word here takes away in the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, means to, to lift up, to lift up. He's saying those branches that have fallen, because remember, there's a, and, and this, I'm using this illustration, but think of this as the, the vine. These are the branches, and right? And then there's fruit that come off of them. It, it, the, 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 the branches that fall on the ground, the, the way they fall on the ground, they need to be lifted up and put higher so the grapes could have visibility of the sun. I love that. They need to be in the presence of the sun. God will... For the undead productive need to lift them up so they can be in the presence of the sun, not S-U-N-S-O-N. And that, so that it could, so that they can grow and they could thrive. Many fruitless believers can be wounded believers. Family hurt, personal hurt, emotional hurt, church hurt, whatever it is, could be wounded people that just needed to be cared for and lifted up. And, and, and loved on a little bit. And Jesus comes, God the Father comes as the gardener bends down and lifts up. The word edification, that your, your church comes to be edification, means to be built up or to, to be lifted up. The purpose of what I'm trying to do is to build you up and lift you up in the faith so that you can grow and bear much fruit. If you ever walked, right, in the forest and you see trees that are fallen, they're dead, and branches are fallen, they're Right, those branches are on the ground, and they can they they can they can harbor disease and and decay in those branches. If we're not careful, those dead branches or branches that fall can harbor anger and bitterness because our wound and our hurts and unforgiveness, and could hinder our fellowship relationship with God. God knows that. God understands that. Right. And so when you look at these dead branches in the forest and, and you're walking through, you see these bugs and rodents running through these, these old branches. It, maybe the test for us is that if maybe there's branches that need to be changed. Like, like what in life bugs you? What gets you annoyed and frustrated? Maybe there's some tending of the heart that needs to be dealt with. See, the gardener clears the breeze so the plant can breathe and thrive. The gardener's coming, God the Father. J.D. Greer, a uh, pastor of back east, said this, abiding in Jesus means understanding that his acceptance of us in the same, is the same regardless of the amount of spiritual fruit we have produced. God still loves us. He still loves us, right? So what is the dead stuff that you need to remove to make way for a healthy relationship with God? What is that debris that needs to be removed? But it says that not only is it taken away, that it says God branches are pruned. So there's some that are producing. There are some 
branches that are producing fruit, right? But even these that are producing fruit need to be attended to, right? We know that pruning is the process to get rid of the unproductive growth, right? If you have a, in my garden, uh, in our front, we have a, a rose, this is a bush that goes up along the wall and we have to, though it bears fruit, it bears a lot of flowers. It's a white rose thing. We have to trim it back a little bit. Those parts that need to be cut back in order so they can produce more. That's just a gardening principle to, so that it would flourish. Because what happens is if you're not, if the, if the pruning is not happening, it could weigh down that plant. And we know that pruning can be painful. Pruning can be painful. Maybe there are some spiritually unhealthy practices in your life that needs to be cut off or pruned. Okay? Because God is saying, I got to prune these things in your life because I want you to, 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 to be healthier, to be stronger, to, to be like, I'm going to tell you, we had the men's fellowship yesterday. It was a great time over at the park. We had some barbecues. They had, you know, hamburgers. They had, they had uh, um, well, sausages. They had all this it was great. But they also had Oreo cookies. <laughs> and they had both flavors of Oreo cookies. Now, if you know me, I love Oreo cookies. My kids would buy for my birthday packs of Oreo cookies so I could eat with milk. But I went on this diet and I've been watching my health and I can't eat the sugar anymore. And I saw it. I went home to my wife and said, you would have been so proud of me. I didn't eat the Oreo cookies. I had to cut these things out of my life. This was the pruning that needed to happen in Pastor Pete's life in order to stay healthy and to thrive and to grow. What are the things that need to be pruned out of our life? But you have to understand that pruning is really a process by which God expresses his love for you. Though you think it might be painful, it actually is the process by which God uses in order to make you healthy and strong. When you go to the doctor and you have an illness, he's not gonna say, oh, I'm glad you're doing better. It doesn't give you anything to, you might have to do some hard work there. You might have to make some hard decisions. You have to, might have to do some things that are contrary to what you're naturally wanting to do. But it is God's way of expressing his love. And why? Because he sees great potential in you, even when you don't see great potential in yourself. You still have those vices going on in your life. You're still battling those things in your life, right? One of the ways which God prunes in our life kind of might be a form of, of discipline he does in our life, right? Parents, you understand discipline. You understand the discipline of your children that you don't take pleasure in it, but you know it's necessary. So they can, they can grow up to do, to do and Practice the right things, right? Hebrews 12, 6 and 11 says, for whom God the Lord loves, he chastens. So there's the motive. The motive of the pruning could be in the chastening is his love. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. How many feel like, oh, I'm just celebrating Jesus when I'm getting spanked when you're a young kid, right? Or whatever it is. But painful, nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it trained and equipped by it. What's the purpose of the church is to equip and train the, you for the works of ministry. You'll be equipped and trained by it. And so part of you maturing, just like when you raise up your kids, you're maturing them to be adults. God the Father and the Son of Workers to, to train you up to be spiritually adult, mature followers of Jesus, to be trained in righteousness. And sometimes the pruning needs to happen and it could be painful sometimes. Maybe that person you were dating that you had 
love for, you felt feelings for, who doesn't know Jesus, God says, no, uh I'm going to prune that off. And you might feel like, well, I thought God brought it to me. If he doesn't know Jesus, God didn't bring him to you. Don't, don't twist the scriptures. Because he says you're not to be unevenly yoked. And he'll cut that off. You know, maybe you're missionary dating. Maybe you're like, I'm doing a work for God in Jesus' name. I'm going to lead him to Jesus. Most of the time, they lead you away from Jesus. Not to Jesus. That's why Jesus says, this is going to be painful for you. I might have to remove some things that you have attached yourself to that are not healthy for you. And they're leeching you and they're killing you and they're sucking life out of you, but you don't even recognize it because it's a slow death. But he says, I got to cut it off. I got to prune it back. I got to get rid of it. That's why he loves you. And the purpose of the cutting off or the pruning is to be more fruitful. Mas fruta. Did, did I say that right? I'm just checking. Uh, 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 you know, I'm trying to practice my Spanish. Give two. <laughs> but here's, here's another thought, guys, about the process of discipling here. The ministry of purging process. Actually, the word pruning can actually be, in some translation, the King James Version says the word purging. That's why it, it, purging means to, 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 to clean, right? It means to clean. It means to, to lift up. To clean, okay? You're already, but that's why it says in verse three that you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So he connected the cleaning with the word that he says there's a cleaning process, there's a sanctification process. When we do this abiding, God is doing this cleansing process in your life. This is when the grains are, I shared this a little bit, when the, the, when the grapes are on the ground, the vine dresser would come and lift up them up, and then he would clean them. And when he lift them up to get to the sun, he would also take water and wash them of the dirt and the grime and the things that they got dirty with. And then he lifts them up in the presence of the sun so the sun could hit them. That's why Jesus prayed. We'll get to it in John 17, a couple chapters later. He prayed that, pray that you sanctify them with the truth for your word is truth. He commands us to pray that God's word is the sanctifying process. Water is symbolic of the word in the Bible, right? We wash with the word. That's why he commands in Ephesians 5, husbands, wash your wives with the word, a washing of the word. It's our responsibility to, to lead in the instructions and to guide our home in bringing the word into our home to be able to teach our family and teach our kids with the instructions of the word. That's the sanctification process. That's the watering process. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And upon receiving his word by faith, he makes us righteous, right? We call that, here's theology, guys, for those who want to go deeper, imputed righteousness. He makes us righteous. By faith, God makes us righteous. So that's why we can stand before God and get to heaven because not of our righteousness, because of Jesus' righteousness clothed us in his righteousness. We wear his righteous robe. And we stand before God. That's how we enter in. So all the junk, the past, the stuff that you've done in your life and everything like unrighteousness, God washes that. He removes it. He lifts you up. He cleans it. He's consecrating. He's washing you. So when you stand before the Father, you're clean. Not of your own works, but of his work. But it doesn't stop there. When you come to the altar, receive Christ, and he cleanses you, it doesn't stop there, right? Even though Malachi says the Lord is described like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. And there's, a, there's the word as it cleans your process. It's a purifier. 
faith has to have fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit to obey. That's why it says, if you love me, obey my commands. We call that, there's the other theology word, imparted righteousness. So imputed righteousness, he made you righteous. Imparted righteous means now you live righteously. So there's, if I've changed my identity and I've changed my position and God's done this, he's cleansed me, he's made me righteous, now I'm called to walk righteously. That's the fruit, to walk righteously because there's an abiding faith walk to be witnessed by all as a testimony for the glory of God. So the word of God, the fruit of the word of God converts, it convicts, it consecrates, it commissions. That's what it does when we abide, abide and sit. It does a correction. It, it does a reproof. It does all these things, the word of God. Now, we're going to get into some of the practices of abiding because here's the second thing we're looking at five and six, that the dependency of a disciple of Jesus. There is a dependency in the disciple of Jesus. Uh, the other day, Carmelo, I, I think he has his trainer here today, they, they, they went scuba diving. They're training how to be a scuba diver. Right, and so part. You know, I, I don't know nothing about school. I just learned. I don't. I'm, I have no desire to go into water without without air. But 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 the reality is, these some of you like scuba diving and you go down. But you have this tank filled with air and you have a mouthpiece and it's a regulator and it does all. You put it all in. Why? Because you're going into an environment that you were never created to be in. So you needed a life support or system in order to be dependent upon it to give you life, so you could go into another world to be able to experience what was going on in the world, to see the creation of that world, to look at it and see all the beauty of that world, but you still needed the air in order to stay in that environment. Come on, come on. Listen, we are in a world that we were never created to be in the sense of live here for eternity, so the abiding is our air breathing, our need, our dependency in order to thrive in this world, in order to live in this environment, in this broken, that we would be able to sustain even in the beauty of what we see around us, but we still need that life support. We still need that system. We still need that air that keeps us alive. For in him, what? We live and move and have our being. It's in Christ that keeps us going because we're called to fall in love with this Jesus. So this, this faith walk is not about following rules or to be compliant to a, a bunch of laws or to be domesticated, but to grow in intimacy with God in such a way that we give our lives away. That's the secret of the Christian life is the abiding in Christ. That's where we get the life. That's where we get the air. That's where he breathes life. You get into John ch chapter 20, he says he breathes the, the Holy Spirit. And he, he breathes life into him. The Holy Spirit is in us. He breathes life, and we have to have sustaining of that life. So this connection with this abiding is like the air that goes into our lungs and underwater that keeps us alive. It's life-saving. So dependency starts with intimacy. It starts with intimacy. Look at four and five. Abide in me. And I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You cannot do nothing. Okay, what does abide mean? We've been throwing this word around, right? Abide mean, or the word remain might be translated. Abide might be a term. It means to, to make your home in. It appears over 11 times in this passage, over 40 times in the gospel. It's an important world. If, you, if it's mentioned many, many times, you probably should pay attention to it, right? We probably should listen to what it's saying, right? 
The word remain or abide means to rest in Jesus, to stay close to him. Remain him has to do with closeness. Be still. We sang about this today. Be still. I was I Psalm 46 and know that I am God. Be still. Guys, you need to learn to be still before the presence of the Lord, not here, but in your place at home or wherever God has you. There has to be a place where de dependency is established in your life with God. There has to be a place of connection. There has to be a place where you sit and listen. There has to be a place where you abide and rest and stop the business of your world. And this is very, very hard because it takes discipline and it takes time. And we don't like to be still. We don't. We like to be busy. Like, you know, I remember when I took my daughter on a father-daughter retreat one year, and they made us sit and face each other, and we had to look each other in the eyes for like two minutes. You know how hard that was? It was like, how uncomfortable that was? When we want to sit before Jesus and we haven't disciplined ourselves to stop, it might even feel a little uncomfortable. A little, like you feel like your mind starts to race, things you got to do start happening, all the anxiety comes in of things you didn't do or should do, all that's playing in there, and you haven't learned to stop and rest your mind and rest your heart and be at peace with God. You have to be able to be still with God. That's what it means to remain and abide in him, to stay close to him. This is a daily walk, an abiding relationship. It's not a weekend warrior event. We make church an event, not a walk. I want you to hear that. Sometimes we come to church on Sunday because it's an event, but it's not a walk. We walk with God daily, right? It's a mutual relationship. They abide in me, and he I abide in him, and he abides in me. That's reciprocal. I talked a little bit about that last week. And so this relationship needs to be established. Jesus is the vine, and you are the branches. Like the vine is dependent on the gardener, so is the branch dependent on the vine. Jesus said this, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work, John 14, 10. Abide in me and I in you and I'm in him. It's working all together. That team's working. Let me tell you something. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He is the vine. We are the branches. Listen, say this is the vine. That's Jesus. These are the branches. Branches don't bear fruit. The vine bears fruit. Branches are just the means and the vessel and the vehicle by which God uses to bear fruit. The grapes in the illustration. The fruit we bear doesn't come from Pete. It comes from God in my life. Okay, because if I choose to cut this branch off and throw it to the side, it will not live. It will die because it got severed from its life source. Some of you don't realize the importance of why we gather because when you don't gather and think this is important, you're severing yourself from your life supports. You're severing yourself from what's going to feed you what you need for the moment, guys, because you don't know what you're going to face this week. 
You don't know what trial or tribulation or temptation or obstacle you're gonna face, so you need to stay connected to the vine. That's just not for Sunday. That's an everyday deal. So when you get up, you say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Because I don't know what I'm gonna face when I walk outside those doors. I don't know what temptation, what, temp what things are gonna come my way, what's gonna happen to my job. Put me in the right spirit, right frame of mind. Like, give me what I need today. Because when my boss starts nagging me, I don't want to go off on him. Come on. So we need that input before we even start. That's why the psalmist says, when I rise up in the morning, I seek him. Right? So, so there's abiding where we, we begin to input those things. And those who abide, it says here, will bear much fruit will bear much fruit. What is the fruit that Jesus is speaking of? What is this if we're abiding? What is this fruit that he talks about? Oranges, apples? <laughs> what is he talking about fruit, right? Look up the word fruit throughout the scriptures, right? The fruit of winning souls. He who wins souls is wise, scripture says. Sharing our faith, sharing Christ with others is fruitful, Romans 1.13 right? We're called to live out this commission. That's bearing fruit. The fruit of holiness, right? Be holy for I am holy, Peter writes, right? This is the will of God that you sanctify yourself. Thessalonians talks about this. The fruit of financial giving, the, the fruit of tithing and giving of your resources, Romans 15, 26 to 28, that we are called to be generous givers. That's the fruit of this walk. How about the fruit of serving, loving our neighbors, like dis disciple-making believers. Like if you come to faith and you're growing your faith, now who are you passing your faith on to? Not only to your wives and your children, how about your neighbors? How about others in the church? That you're passing your fruit on to somebody else, that you're discipling. A multiplying church is me not just pouring to you, but you pouring into somebody else. That's multiplication. We got to pour into other people as much as somebody's pouring into us. That's, that's crucial for our, de, for our development, right? The fruit of our lips. We just sang praises today. How we talk. About, here, and I believe this is the core of it all. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, it says. Love, that's, that's the key word. And then it says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, self-control, kindness, and gives a whole list right there. In fact, those words describe love because love is an action. Love is just a feeling. It's an action. And the fruit of God, because God is love, lives inside of us. That is the mark of a believer. It says you'll know them by their fruit. The ultimate fruit for us should be love. Not worldly love, godly love. Not erotic love, but unconditional agape love. That is the characteristic of love that we're called to practice. And so we're not to disrespect people and be rude to people and scream and cuss at people and draw drama with people. That's not loving. Even with each other. For you'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. If we can't love in here, what makes you think we're going to love out there? And so here he says, I believe, people ask me, how do you know you're one's a real Christian, a real follower of Jesus? Do they have the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their life? Do they have the evidence of love? Is love practiced in their life? Because love is patient. 
And there's people that are going to push your buttons, but you're going to be patient because the spirit lives in you. See, that's the evidence of a mark of a believer. But look at the progression of the text as it relates to abiding. Those who abide in Christ. Verse 2 starts with no fruit. Then some fruit in verse 2. Then more fruit in verse 2. Then much fruit in verse 5 and 8. And then later we're going to get in, and then lasting and remaining fruit in verse 16. There's a progression of growth in our fruit bearing. There's a progression of growth. So if I'm walking in the Lord and I'm one year in the Lord, I just came to faith and I'm learning what this is. I'm walking as a, a, as a, a child in the faith. But if I'm 10 years in the Lord or 20 years in the Lord or 40, wherever you're at in the Lord, you should be bearing fruit according to your maturity. You should be, you should, God should be doing this work in you and this abiding in you so you're bearing this fruit in your life that you're growing in maturity. And so we, we have, there is a growth to fruit bearing. Remember the parable of the sword talks about shallow soil. Some people fell from the faith because shallow soil, they hear the word, but they didn't abide and they were shallow soil. Some of us had shallow soil. We're not abiding in there. Because the fruit we bear should reflect Christ, his character and, his, and our attitudes and our action. Because he said, you'll know them by their fruit. Because fruit is visible. Fruit is visible. How is it visible? Number one, that we're not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation. We don't hide our faith. We don't hide our identity in Christ. We don't hide that. We also know that fruit should, 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 is the, for the benefit of God's glory and service. It's because he said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So what are we saying with this fruit is? The fruit, number one, is that that. It reflects Christ, the fruit is visible, and the fruit is for the glory of God and his service. That's what this fruit does. For without Christ, you can do nothing. Our connection to Christ is crucial to the, to the fruit bearing that we have, because why Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives what in me, and the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith, not by sight, of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Because Paul later writes that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because God is in me, I can bear the fruit. It's not me. It's God working in me. And we're being renewed day by day by day. God's doing this work in us day. So don't get discouraged. You might have some a bad day. But at least you say, Lord, maybe tomorrow I'll have a better day. Because I know you're still working in me. I know you're still refining me. I know you're still purifying me. I know you're still taking the, the rough sandpaper and smoothing me out and detailing me and, 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 and doing the finished work of me. And sometimes it's a little painful. It's a little rough. But I know you're smoothing me out to bring the beauty in me. So I, I'm allowed the work to be done as long as I'm abiding, right? But a lack of dependency can lead to burnout. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch that is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. I love the passage that says this, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the, that's the fruit of abiding. There's this joy, there's this peace, there's this walk, there's overflowing in my life. It's not about the physical, it's about the spiritual, the eternal, the internal. But he says here, for those who choose, there are people who could choose not to abide. 
Because for those who choose not to abide in Christ, there are, there are consequences to the faith. If for people who choose to neglect this discipline, for people who says, I don't have the time or I'm not going to make the effort, there's consequences to that. Now, there are many different interpretations of verse 6. Verse 6 is a very challenging verse. There are a lot of verses in the Bible that challenge us how we can interpret this. Uh, those in the faith were promised that they would never be cast out, right? When saved, all is saved. That you're, if you're a believer, that God holds you in the palm of his hand, right? And, and not necessarily, this past doesn't necessarily always, doesn't have to do without hell. It has to do with not thriving, with the lack of joy and peace. That could be one interpretation, right? Without the abiding, your, your life could be hellish, even in Christ. Because you're, you're doing it on your own, you're doing it in your own strength, and it could be very difficult, and, and you have not allowed God to be a part of that journey with you. And what happens? You begin to wither. You have no life when you don't abide, when you choose not to abide. You dry up your parts. You're spiritually anemic. I, I think another, another one is that it can mean this is it, it, it cast out the branch. The casting out means to be separated, means to, to be isolated from the fellowship with God and others. When we choose not to abide in God and do our own thing and go our own way, then we isolate ourselves from the fellowship with God. We actually put a wall between us and God. And, and then that isolation will kill us because we were never created to be isolated. We are created to be in community with God and with one another. That's why he designed the church. He knew the importance. That's why you have pseudo fellowships all around. We have bars and Kiwanis clubs and all these things because people know they need each other. They just don't realize that God designed us that way. And, and so we're in, we're in isolation. We put ourselves in isolation. Some believe that thrown in the fire and burn can be be those professing believers who are not saved. Who, Yeah, think about Judas. Look at the life of Judas, right? Judas was with the disciples. He heard the word. He even did miracles. He did. Study his life. And yet he denied Christ, committed suicide, was apart from God. There could be people that can say yes and not be transformed by the Spirit. Right? The, the, scariest, the scariest passage in the Bible for me is in Matthew, where it says, did I not do many of these were cast out demons and feed the hungry and feed the poor and, and did all these good things? And Jesus said, depart from me, for I never knew you. I never knew you. The goal of this abiding is that we get in this deep relationship with God to know him and he know us. That's called Intimacy. Intimacy can never happen by the law. It has to happen by love. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve was commanded to do in the garden? There are many commands, but one was to be fruitful and multiply. Their love for one another was intimacy that produces children. That intimacy is very important in a marriage, husband, wife relationship. And Jesus says that same word intimacy, same word means sexual relationship, that we're going to be the intimate relationship to God that we bear, bear fruit in our life. That's the love relationship, the depth of the love relationship that God is calling us to. And so we see here. But what happens is we can get burned out if we don't have abiding relationship. We burn out in life, burned out by circumstances or, or just everyday pressures of life, right? And you don't have the, the strength and energy to move forward. And that some lead to depression, anxiety, even suicide, addictions. We can't handle things, can't handle the pressures of life. I think I re remember John when he got the book of Relations, talked about the church of Ephesus. 
who did all the right things but didn't do it with the right motive, did the right things without love. And he talked about that. And he says, listen, you're doing all the right things, but you're not doing it because you love me. In fact, you've lost your first love. So you've idolized other things and put other things first. And so he writes in Revelation 2, to remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Go back to your first love. Maybe your marriage is falling because you got away from your first love and you put your husband before God or you put your wife before God or you put your children before God or you did all these things and maybe you're getting burned out in life because you, your priorities are wrong. The order of things are wrong. God is first. Or we can make any other things apart from God idols in our life. Be careful of that. We could be working without abiding in Christ. You know that? We can do works without the power of God. We can do works. We see it every day in our society, right? A lot of people do good works. They do good deeds that are, that are apart from Christ. They are, right? We have hundreds and thousands of nonprofits in the world all around us doing good deeds, helping people, right? Juana's Club, Rotary Club, Masons, you name it, right? And they're doing it for whatever reason they're doing it. It might be because, you know what, um, they want to help feel good about themselves, right? Maybe they want their name. Maybe, maybe they want to make their conscience feel better. I don't know the reasons and motive by which people do what they do. But apart from God and God's economy, it has no value. Though people do good, I'm thankful for them and the work that they do. But the reality, God gives us a premise on what we're doing. And the warning here is that people in the church can serve without abiding relationship with God. It takes them back to 1 Corinthians 3.13 where it talks about our works. It says this in 1 Corinthians 3.13, for those taking notes, each one's work will become clear, evident. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by the fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it was. So when we stand part of the judgment seat, the white throne judgment seat, that God's going to say, let me test your good work and let me see what motive by which you did it. Was it that you wanted to puff your name up? Did you want to get your name on a, a bench? You know, what was the motive by which you did? If anyone works which he has built on endures, he will receive rewards. So there is rewards for our work. There is, you know, acknowledgement from God with the right motive. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. I love this because this is the goodness of God. But he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. This is not about salvation. This is about rewards. You're already saved. Whether you do, good, whether you do works or not, you're safe, right? That's, that's the evidence of Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. And so I want to close, as we begin to close here, looking at the fruitfulness of the disciples. For those who have been in my house, you probably met Benny. Benny is my doggie. Okay, he's a little dog. And when I got Benny, it was for my daughter, who was now graduating from college. She's 21 years old, but we got her because all of the, her brother and sister were out, and so she wanted a dog. And so we went, and we looked for a job. And so we went to one of those rescue agencies to get a dog. And so we get there, we walk around, we find a little bit, a little brown, kind of a Dutch hound looking dog. But at that time, it was a, re it was a rescue dog from Mexico. Okay, it's legal, he's got his papers, we got him. Okay. <laughs> he's an immigrant, but we got his papers. But he was mangy, like he had all his hair was off him because he had some disease, he had all these different things. So, and at the time we saw him, he was like mellow, just laying there. My dad's like, oh, he's a cool dog, let's get this one. So we, we get him and we bring him home and we have to put medicine. We had to tend to him. We had to care for him. And his hair came back. But when he got there, man, it was like a demon came alive. 
Like he was tearing our couches up and tearing everything up. He had some like, like I think emotional problems. Like he would run out the door and take off. He would growl at people. He wanted to buy people. He wanted to do everything, right? But as we tended to his heart, as we cared for him, he mellowed out. And we, now that my daughter's off of college, it's just me and my wife, we're at the house, so we all come and we sit at the couch. He jumps on the couch, he'll sleep next to us, he always near us, wherever we go. When I'm studying in my office for his, he'll come in my office and actually jump on my lap and sleep on my lap and rest while I'm studying. He just always, or he'll be with Julie because we work from home, and we'll do it. He's always near us, he's always near us. And so what happens is this, is that sometimes he's in the front room, I'll close my door to my office. And he'll come, and when he wants to come to the office, he'll bark and then he'll scratch at the door. He'll bark and a scratch at the door. And I know it's Benny, so I open up. Why? Because Benny knows his master. He's been abiding with master. He's been with his master. And all he has to do is bark and scratch, and he'll get the attention of his master. That's what prayer is, right? That we've been abiding with God. We've been hanging. He's just doing this work. Now we're going to get the attention of the master through prayer. That's what we're going to And that's how he closes. Like a disciple has a, a fruitful prayer life. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. You will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. Now, there's a prerequisite. I hope you see it before the answered prayer. Because we all like to jump into stuff, right? We have a list that we like to ask God. But there's a prerequisite. The prerequisite to answer prayer is abiding. It's abiding in God. It's resting in God. It's being with God. It's getting the heart of God. It's getting the mind of God. It's getting to understand the character of God, right? That's why if you abide in me, what? And my word abides in you. There's the prerequisite, Right? Abiding means to stay close. I talked about it. It means to remain, right? I love Jacob. Jacob, in the Old Testament, you know that Israel, Jacob, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob had 12 sons. He was at a place called Bethel, and he's, Bethel, and he's praying, and he has a, he's, he's wrestling with God. And, and, and he won't let go of God, and God gives him a little hip pointer, so now he, he walks with a swag now when you see him later in the thing. But the reality is that God is speaking to him. He changes his name, but he says this. He says, I'm not going to let go of you, God, Jacob said, until you bless me. I'm going to be so close to you and nag you until you bless me. Guys, may we be like Jacob that we're just so embracing God. God, I ain't going nowhere until I get a word from you, till you speak to me, till you speak to the. And so that's part of what we see here is there's, there's a prerequisite to abiding before we can even ask of anything. See, your time in the word and in his presence is the key to the success of your prayers. Your personal time with God at home or wherever it is important, your meditation, your contemplation, your devotion is key, right? Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my heart, I have sought you. Oh, let not wander from your commandments. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, do an x-ray spiritually through my life. Because the Bible says, if I had sin in my heart, God will not hear my prayers, Psalm 66. Purify my hearts so that when I enter in your holy place and I ask, you've opened up a way, right? And that greatest commandment for us is just building our love for God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That relationship with God is the key to our prayers, right? It's the key to our prayers. I can't just go up to President Biden and say, this is, I'm going to request you, this is what I want. President Biden don't know me. I know about President Biden, but I don't know President Biden. My intimacy with God is key to the success of my prayer because I know God, and God knows me, and we've had time. And so when I come and ask, okay, I got, you got my ear. You're scratching at the door. You're scratching at heaven's gates. You're doing all those different things, right? 
and your prayer request will come from your abiding relationship with him. And then you'll be able to pray in the spirit and not in the flesh. Right? The Bible says, make all prayers and supplication in the spirit, Ephesians 6, 18. In the spirit. Ask, it says here, ask what you desire. Your desires will be directed by God's presence and what he's put in your heart. Right? Your prayers will be driven by the will for you and driven by his word. Be driven by his will and driven by his word. Thus, if we ask anything in his name, according to his will, he will hear us and answer us. So word and prayer are part of our armor. It's part of our thing, what we need in order to engage, because prayer is also warfare. Prayer is also peaceful. Prayer also anxious with our anxiety. Is prayer, all prayers and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. He'll guard your heart and mind with peace in Christ Jesus. See, prayer is dealing with us here, but also dealing with that out there. Why is he laying out this message? There's a purpose. Because God glorify, because his disciples glorify the Father in his fruit bearing. Look at the close of verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, that you'll be my disciple. The purpose of our fruit bearing is to honor God and not ourselves. By this, by what? By what we've been talking about, abiding and bearing fruit. Points to God. Our actions glorify God. God will be honored because he says this, he who honors me, I will honor. There's the answer to your prayer, right? You know what? When we're living out this faith, the way we're called and designed to live it out, people are going to see Jesus in us. They're going to ask us, why is your life so different than mine? Can our lives be so radically changed and transformed that people actually look to us and say, I want what you got. But they look at you and say, I don't want what you got. May we walk with such great joy and passion, right? People will see the change in our heart, the humility in our lives, and that should be enticing to the world. That's so turmoil and craziness, right? Because the mark of a disciple is one who bears fruits. That's the evidence of a believer. We identify a tree by its fruits. The Lord is not looking for Jesus followers. The Lord is looking for Jesus followers, not fans. Like a lot of you are watching the NFL playoffs right now, right? And you're jumping on. And you haven't even watched the NFL all season, but then you jump on the playoffs of the Super Bowl. Oh, that's my team. You haven't even journeyed with them all, all year, but they're your team. Yay. You're voting for your team. Super Bowl Sunday. Yay. Like, who's the quarterback? You know, you don't even know. God is not looking for fair weather fans, He's looking for followers. So the ultimate goal as we look at this passage is this. Our purpose is to glorify God and delight in him. To glorify God and delight in him. So I close with this as Pastor Brian's come to communion this morning. Pruning and purging is a work that God uses for fruit bearing. Don't first forget, thank God for the work he's doing in you to get you to say, I have this plan, I have design for you. Dependency is a discipline for fruit bearing, our abiding in Christ and walking with him daily, sitting and reading and praying and guys, reading books and doing all these is a part of what we do. And lastly, the fruitless of disciple is prayer and honor. Is my life honorable to God? Am I honoring him in my life? Is he being glorified? Because one day we're going to be glorified when we get a new body. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you again for this morning for your love and blessings, for all that you're doing. Lord, may you guide and lead our closing here. We partake of communion as we honor you. 
pray that your name would be honored in this place. Father, in this time we've had together, God, you have been glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.